It's time again for Three Point Podcast. Three sports guys, three generations, and three hot takes. The triple threat includes baby boomer Ted Patel of Z92.5 The Castle. Our Gen Xer is Matt Burns of ESPN and the SEC Network out of Charlotte, North Carolina. The millennial man is Jared Patel of Valley Sports Detroit. Comments and questions can be sent by email to threepointpod at gmail.com. Follow Three Point Podcast on social media at Three Point Pod. The fellows will get it rolling right after this from our partners. Advanced Elevator Company are experts in the elevator business. They have the very best trained professional field technicians in project management for installations, troubleshooting, and repair of elevators in the entire Midwest. Centrally located world headquarters in the heart of Owasso, Michigan. The Janka family, longtime huge supporters of the Corona Public Schools. Advanced Elevator Company, area business leaders, and a longtime member of the Shiawassee Regional Chamber of Commerce. Great news to report. Sheridan Realty and Auction Company has built a new 7,500-square-foot warehouse in Owasso. Now we are able to take all of your items and put it underneath one roof. Whether you are able to bring us a vehicle, an ATV, furniture, it goes inside. Go to SheridanAuctionService.com to see more. More importantly, stop down and see us at 1007 South Washington Street. You'll do better with Sheridan. Rivals Tap House and Grill is the area's go-to spot for the best in food and drink. Meet up with your friends and catch your favorite sporting events on over 20 high-def flat-screen TVs. And our 120-inch projection screen. Rivals can handle your large or small parties and is an awesome spot to put on your fundraising events. Weekly food and drink specials including gourmet burgers, wings, pizza, homemade soup, and salads. Rivals also stocks a large selection of craft and domestic brews. Rivals Tap House and Grill, the official gathering spot of three-point podcast located on the corner of Shiawassee and M21 in Corona. It's time for the three-point podcast episode 169. I'm Ted Fattel of Z92.5 with ESPN's Matt Burns and Jared Fattel of Bally Sports Detroit both on the phone here this evening. Our starting lineup includes Advanced Elevator, Corona Connection, Hankard Sportswear, Rivals Tap House and Grill, Nelson House Funeral Home, Sheridan Auction Service, and by the way, speaking of Sheridan, we've got to say congrats to CHS golfer Nick Crow, who made All-League in the Flint Metro League, so congratulations to him, his dad, uh, the one of the big participants of Sheridan Auction Service. Also, we want to thank Success Group Mortgage and Servicing, Z92.5 The Castle, and news for you we want to welcome aboard our new teammates jj's excavating and trees services for expert tree and stump removal and many other services give them a call at 989-277-9059 and thanks also to the owasso speedway for joining the three-point podcast team the next big show at the big o june 5th featuring the outlaw super late model show along with truck shootout sportsman pure stocks and more uh, we want to tell you right now, we got a great show in store for you. ESPN Detroit Lion Insider and Flintstone Eric Woodyard joined us to talk about his climb from Flint to ESPN. And we'll also be talking a little golf, kind of fitting with the PGA, and it fits right in there perfectly, at TC Sports Insider Trent Courtright, who was on the bag for Tim Pierce at the PGA Championship in South Carolina. We'll get some of his uh, thoughts on that big event. But, boys, what we like to do at the beginning, do a little catch-up. Who wants to start? I, I can start first because I, had a, I, had a, I did go to a wedding that we've been sort of building up for uh, the last couple weeks here on the show. It was on Saturday. Everything went great. The best part of the wedding 
no dancing. COVID canceled all dancing, and let me just say, COVID's not so bad right. after all. It was the perfect wedding, <laughs> that, in my opinion. Come on. That, right when you say that's the best part of the wedding, all I picture is it's like a seventh-grade dance where <laughs> everyone's just like, except at the wedding, maybe you're having drinks. We weren't having drinks in seventh yeah. grade. But everyone's just standing around the wall staring at each other because there's no dance floor. That can't be the best part. And I mean, I bet the food was good. I bet you had some good drinks. He caught up with some friends. You got to get on the dance floor at a wedding. Come on. I'm speechless. Hey, it wasn't- I don't know. I, I can't even imagine that's the greatest wedding you've ever been to, but uh, whatever floats your boat, young man. What was great about it was there was it was uh, actually at the ZCBJ Hall in Owasso, which has a brand new uh, like outdoor area that has like a bunch of different game uh, game boards. It has like a life size like chessboard that you can play with. So that was a lot of fun. Mm. Uh, but here's the way I the way I look at it, and here's one last thing I'll say about the wedding. I'm not going to complain about the no dancing. I can see what you guys are saying. It definitely didn't have quite the same atmosphere as, as a wedding that you know has a great DJ and a lot of dancing. It was a good wedding in my opinion. Uh, one thing I will throw out there is, have you guys ever ran into the problem where if you go to a wedding with an open bar, and I guess I don't really know how open bar even works, but every time I've done it, the drinks are super-duper watered down. I kid you not, I probably had about four liters worth of Coke and about 20 mixed drinks, <laughs> the equivalent of that, and I didn't feel any sort of buzz. And that's the second yeah. time that I've done that at a wedding, and I've ran into that problem. It's just I don't know if it's just the two alone weddings I've been to, or if that's what happens everywhere. I mean, I, I don't. Obviously, I can't say that's what happens everywhere, but I definitely know what you're talking about. I mean, usually that's that's kind of what they do at open bars, or if you go to like a, an all-inclusive resort or like a cruise or something like that. You know, the the, the drinks are going to be pretty watered down because they're trying to make a little money, to be honest with you. But you got to do the old Ted Patel trick. That first time you go get that drink. Give them a decent tip and be like, "Hey, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be coming back. I'm gonna be coming back for more drinks. Like, get you know, sp- spice it up a little bit. I want to actually have a good time." So, no, I, I definitely know what you're talking about. They they usually do because you know it's open bar. You're you're just gonna keep going back for more. Give me another Jack and Coke. Give me another Jack and Coke. And you're just chugging Coke the whole time. This is kind of funny, but yeah. but yeah, you got to do the tip. Give them a good tip. Yeah, grease the palm. That's for sure. Now I'm going back to a long time ago when when I used to go to weddings at the ZCBGA Hall, and from my memory, seems like uh, we had like two choices of mixed drinks. One was a seven seven, and one was a screwdriver, and they would mix it in a big uh, you know plastic container. I don't know if they still do that, or did the bartender actually mix up the drinks? Yeah, that's when that's when they definitely get watered down. I've Absolutely. been at something like that where <laughs> I mean they're probably trying to save some time, you know, for the bartender and stuff like that. But right, they're just like making a big old vat basically of <laughs> yeah. screwdriver or whatever, so you know there's like no liquor in that. But and sometimes you know they say it's open bar, but the couple who pays for it, they tell them like. We only want you to serve like these four drinks, like a seven and seven right. and a screwdriver. It's not necessarily completely open, you know. They might specify what it is, but but yeah, you got to do the Ted Ted Fatale. You got to grease the palm that first time you go up there. Then you might get hooked up. Amen. <laughs> it, cracks, it just cracks me up how that's like Ted's solution for almost all of life's problems: just bribe somebody. I was going to ask though, Jared, not to. I have to keep hammering home this whole whole band thing yeah. at weddings. I'm, I'm going to assume, was was your girlfriend there? Was she your date for the wedding? Yep, yep. Okay, so that's even more another reason you want to get some dancing. I mean, I, I would assume, like, when you guys are just, like, hanging out on a Friday night, 
or you know, like you, you go out for a date or something, you're not necessarily going dancing on your normal like date nights, you know, and you're just watching a movie or you know, yeah. firing up Netflix <laughs> and watching some stuff. So a wedding, it's finally, you know, you both look good, you're dressed up, everyone's having a good time, you got some drinks flowing. That's finally like your excuse to like whether it's slow songs, you know, do a little dancing and stuff. That's finally where you can get your girlfriend out on the dance floor. So just another reason. Yeah, let me think here. Let me think here. A little slow dancing with uh, my lady or a little human chess outside. Hmm. I'm trying to think what, <laughs> what what's more fun. Okay, yeah, yeah, very fun. I don't know if I made it clear. I despise dancing with my life. I, I don't know. I seriously think it's like it's up there with some of the most uncomfortable positions I've ever been in my life is on a dance floor <laughs> during a wedding. And, and now the two times I've had a date to a wedding, we've also run into the, the beer problem where I'm getting not drunk at all. So I, I think that plays into it where if I was feeling really good, I would almost have no problem with dancing the, the night away. But it's hard to do that when you're just sitting sober in the corner. So that, that's a problem I ran into this weekend. Well, I'll tell you, uh, I had a little bit of a different experience on Friday night. Made it up to uh, Frankenmuth uh, outside the Bavarian Inn. They have a really cool outdoor uh, setup for uh, you know local concerts. And our favorite band, at least my favorite band that's local, Shy town put on another good show. Uh, it was just a great setup up there at Frankmuth, right next to the main drag. It was not a good night, though, for one young fella who must have been over-participating uh, across the river at the, the beer festival that was taking place because he got pulled over by a couple state cops, had a front had a front row view of him doing the walk of shame, trying to keep his balance, and he ended up in the back of the cruiser on his way wow. to Saginaw wow. County. So that's a bummer. Crazy. Yeah, that is yeah, a bummer. That, Especially, I mean, everybody's trying to party, and that's going on to the right of you. Like, I don't even know how you keep drinking at that point. <laughs> well, it did slow me down a little bit, for sure, because, you know, I was the driver, but I had to be under control. <laughs> so I only had a couple beers, but I, I will say Chi-Town, a really good band. Also this weekend, yesterday, my daughter, uh, Jessica, brought her family up, and her six-month-old got to meet Great Grandpa Bud, and that was that was kind of fun. So had a really nice weekend. Oh yeah, I, mean, I, I saw the picture of of the different generations. It's always cool when you can do stuff like that. When a great grandparent can see, you know, their great grandkids, and you think about that, that's like eighty years or ninety years or something 90, like that between yeah. the generations. That is pretty cool. But I saw the video too, and you guys have talked about Chi Town. I kind of forget. Is there a family connection with Chi Town or? You guys just know him. Yeah, Jared's cousin, my nephew Casey's, uh, he's the drummer. Okay. And he was self-taught, like self-taught, and he he does a great job. Are they all cover songs, or do they do they write some of their own music? No, uh, pretty much all cover, all kind of modern country music. You know, I'd like to see them mix in a little bit more classic rock if they could. But you know, it's it, they're country, but they're very talented musicians. Uh, Troy Napier, one of the lead singers, was popular popular with a local band called Westwind back in the day. I don't know if you remember hearing about them. Maybe a little bit, but yeah, yeah I, I'll always. I, I mean, I love going to see, you know, obviously like uh, artists or bands that make their own music. But there's something about like a really good cover band, just because they'll like you never know what song is coming up next. I mean, I don't know. It's just cool when you're at a bar, or especially if you're outside at a festival or something, and there's a really good cover band. That just you just sit back and enjoy the music because you don't know like maybe what song's next. Yeah, and I don't know and if it, take... I don't know if it's the COVID thing, but just being out and seeing live music again, just it's just a great feeling, you know. Oh, for sure. And I mean, to kind of like to that point, seeing I know we're going to talk about it a lot more with one of our guests coming up, but 
seeing that crowd at the PGA Championship on Kiowa Island was just incredible. I bet though I heard I heard some interviews with golfers because crowds have been coming back on the golf course for a little bit. But like talking about the difference between you know last summer when a lot of those tournaments had zero fans compared to that, where you just see the mob scene that's following Phil Mickelson, and just like the night and day difference. And yeah, I, I remember some of the golfers last summer saying. Like, it was fine. You know, they, they were just happy to be out there playing. They could focus on their shots and stuff like that. But I, I think most of them were, well, like, very, very happy to have the crowds back because it's just so cool to see, like, a cool shot, like, on a chip-in or a nice putt, and you just hear that roar from the gallery. So, so yeah, it, it is something. It's nice to see crowds back. Uh, we went to a pool this weekend for the first time, um, the, the pool that we went to. We hadn't gone there since last summer. So, like, it, yeah, this – these small things that you're starting to see come back, it is pretty cool. I, I tell you what, I'm just I'm I'm the only one on this pod that's not a dad, so I'm just going to do like uh, comparison. Matt, it seems like you, you're doing something with your daughter like every weekend. It seems like you're at like a water park or Disneyland, and then you just go over to Ted, who, well, yeah, you see your grand grandkids what once every every month or so. Yeah, saying man, you could you could step it up maybe. <laughs> you're saying I should step it up. I'm not. I'm just saying, you know, comparatively, maybe you just haven't been posting, uh, posting it like Matt does. But I'm just saying, comparatively speaking, you know, maybe step it up a little bit more. Maybe oh. take them to a water park here or there. Oh, I got you. I got. Well, I did. I did uh, take uh, Parker for a ride on uh, on my dad's little scooter. Does that count? <laughs> That, that counts. I was even. I was going to say you got the pontoon up and running. Maybe some pontoon rides are probably. I would assume probably around the corner here. Oh, definitely. Yeah, they're coming up. I think uh, Father's Day weekend. And by the way, Jared, I'm going out to uh, D.C. to go see the other granddaughter this weekend. So maybe maybe we'll figure out something fun to do with her. <laughs> uh, plenty to do in D.C. Yeah. Hey, back to the back to golf for just a second, guys. I mean, I think we were all probably tuned in avidly yesterday watching Mickelson and and uh, you know battle it out coming down the stretch it was just a great round of golf maybe not the prettiest all the way through but it had uh, it had my attention the entire way and, and you're right Matt the crowd definitely added a lot to it I did get a little nervous on 18 though when you know when they started patting him on the back and crowding right around him and then you know uh, it just got a little bit hectic there and I, I got a little nervous but it, it calmed down just enough yeah, I, it, the crowds are awesome. I love it. I'm not going to sit here and you know act like a hypocrite. I, the two events I went to this weekend, a golf outing and a wedding, I, I t- there was no mask in sight. There was no co- like COVID wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. COVID pretty much, and I, that's where we're going. I think you probably kind of experienced that. I'm sure Friday at the concert, I would think if it was outdoors and with everything like that, no mask. But I don't know. It, it, we're all going to be kind of just have a little bit of a. I don't. I don't want like a welcome back to society like kind of moment and that's what i had this weekend and that i sounds like what you had watching the pga championship mm-hmm. yeah it does kind of feel like that like last week our, our gym down here the, the gym that we go to the ymca started doing no masks so i mean they, they were recommending masks but you know most people once you said it wasn't required the mask is coming off because like trying to work out with with a mask on is just terrible and it was like pretty weird but also at the same time it felt like like, I don't know, freeing or something. Like, it just felt so nice to not be wearing a mask or even when we were at the pool at the water park, not having to wear a mask there. So so there are things that I'm, I'm, st- I'm not, like, anti-mask or anything like that, but it is nice to be at these events, outdoor concerts, if you're at the golf championship or whatever, to not be wearing a mask because, I don't know, it's just it feels like 
it's the way it's supposed to be. So it's nice to yeah be be trending back in that direction. Because like think about your your wedding you're at, Jared. If you guys were all hanging out, not dancing, but you know playing chess or doing whatever <laughs> with masks on with masks on, it would have like completely changed the whole vibe of the wedding. So it, it is nice. Yeah, back to normal almost. You know, we're getting there for sure. I got one, uh, two things. First, let me, uh, you guys keep bringing up the chess thing almost as like you're laughing at me. You guys have told me that if you stumble upon a giant chessboard on the ground with like two feet high chess pieces, you're not going to say, hey, that'd be pretty awesome to play a quick, you know, 15, 20 minute game. I don't care if you're at a, at the World Series. Like, that's still going to appeal to you, I feel like, if you know how to play chess. Mm hmm. Yeah, if you say no, I, so. I think those are cool, and I've played the the light size chess is cool, and uh, light size checkers. Where I mean, the checker pieces are like I don't know, huge light size checkers. I no, I, I get it. It's just funny. <laughs> you went to a wedding to play chess. <laughs> I get it. Did they at least and have then, cornhole? And then uh, Ted, was it pretty inspiring watching you know fifty year old Phil Mickelson win the PGA this weekend? Was it kind of like you know a score for the old guys? Oh, it absolutely was. Now, was it inspiring? I'm I'm past that level for sure of any accomplishments at my age. But you got to give it to him. And the guy's, you know, he's he's in great shape, and he held he held down the fort, man. It was it was awesome to see him not crumble. It was that was one of the finest golf moments I've seen in a long time. I mean, you got to put it's it right there crazy. with Tiger. It's up there with some of the like late tournaments Nicholas won, and obviously like a couple years ago that the Masters that Tiger won. It's got to be up there. And the thing with Phil. I mean, unless all of a sudden he has, like, a major back injury or, you know, like like something like that, he's not going to win every weekend. I'm not trying to say that, but he seems like a, a guy that's going to be able to keep playing, and every once in a while he'll probably pull out a weekend like this because, yeah. like you said, he's fairly healthy. I mean, Tiger had a number of issues, but I think the big one is his body started letting him down. I mean, he's had multiple surgeries on back, knees, you know, whatever. So Tiger's body started kind of falling apart. I don't know. Phil kind of looks like he's all right. Keeps himself in pretty good shape. Looks like he has fun playing. And the thing is, too, like, you know, I was thinking, I was talking to some friends about, you know, Phil kind of came up. It's crazy to think he's won, like, 50 tournaments and, like, six or seven majors now. Right. And to think that, like, I think people definitely respect that for him. But he was, like, living in Tiger's shadow. Like, you think about anyone else that would have had 50 wins and six or seven majors they would be, I mean, they'd be looked at as one of the greatest golfers ever. But because he kind of came up in Tiger's shadow, maybe get gets overlooked a little bit, you know, a little. But it's just the, the difference between, like, Tiger and how he is with, like, fans and the media, just kind of robotic almost, you know, socially awkward yeah. a little bit, you know, all that. And then you got Phil, who's just, like, such a big fan favorite, cool with the fans. People love him. It just seems like it, it's you out there. It seems like it's like your your uncle or yeah. your grandpa, or, you know, your dad or something like that out there playing with Phil. That that's what makes it cool to me. Yeah, it does. And it, it, it just the it was a great just tournament in general. I mean, a lot of the things that make a good tournament, in my opinion, are is it a cool course that's pretty playing pretty difficult. Uh, I don't, Matt, you probably know how to pronounce it better than I do. Kauai Kauai Island, Kiowa Island, something along those lines. It, so it delivered in both those areas, and then there was also just a stacked leaderboard. Uh, Phil Mickelson, Brooks Kepka. I mean, what more could you want going into a Sunday? Uh, the one thing that kind of ruins the whole Phil Mickelson age thing for me is just I always look back at, like, Tom Brady. He, like, Tom Brady is such, like, a just crazy psycho with his health and everything that goes along with it that it almost ruins anytime somebody who is also older accomplishes something in any sport because you just compare it to Tom Brady and say, well, that's not that hard. 
look what Tom Brady's doing. Now, that's a pretty good point, and uh, uh, but you, you certainly can't take anything away from Mickelson overall. You're right, Matt. He's you, you know when you look at this generation of golfers that are in his age group and Tiger. Tiger obviously has the top billing, the, the marquee, everything that goes with Tiger Woods. You know, whole brand. But Phil was right there. It was one, two, pretty much the last what 15 years with those two. And, uh, yeah, it was just great to see. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more golf with Trent Courtright coming up here in just a little bit. But before we get off uh, this segment, guys, we've got to talk a little NBA. I mean, the playoffs are officially underway. The play-in games are over with. We're now into the, 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 the series. I mean, initial thoughts on, on what's happening the association. I mean, we talked about it. I think it might have been two pods ago now, but – before the playoffs started, one of you guys posed the question, like, are the NBA playoffs our favorite playoffs? Mm-hmm. And we, we basically, for the most part, we're all in agreement that, yeah, we are pumped for the NBA playoffs. We love it. And so far, there hasn't been, I don't, there hasn't been one game that's been a letdown. Every game has, for the most part, gone down to the wire, buzzer beaters, and, you know, just like stars, Trey Young, stepping up and hitting big shots. And, you know, the Lakers getting, I guess, upset, even though they're the lower seed. But, you know, there's just so many storylines. The NBA playoffs deliver all the time. Yeah, it does. It's, it's, the NBA is the best. I mean, one, it's just so good to have basketball games, professional basketball games, where the players are now 100%, like, devoted to these games and trying to win. It's awesome. I mean, I'm not, we can go on and on about the NBA regular season. It's playoff time. This is the best two months in any sport, in my opinion. Uh, but I'm going to say this, and Matt, as our Lakers fan, I hope you agree with me. I think the Lakers are in big, big trouble. I, I had the discussion with my dad, and you know how old geezers are. They they try to tell you, oh, it's just one game. It's this it's game one. All they got to do is win one game at Phoenix. They'll be fine. I don't know. I just think like everything that has led into the playoffs and just the start of the playoffs for the Lakers has just been a big warning to me. I just feel like the team's just not as good as last year. I mean, they lost Danny Green. They lost Rajon Rondo, who played lights out during the playoffs. KCP was red hot during the playoffs last year as well. They signed, like, a lot of big names, you know, Andre Drummond and these guys. But I feel like when you actually put it together and look at it on paper and just watch it play out on the court, it's just they're not as good as they were last year. And I feel like a lot of teams got a lot better. And the Lakers, I hate to say it, I'm thinking they're going to get – it's crazy to call it an upset because it's the two-seed Suns, but I think they're going to get upset in round one. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's hard for me to disagree because when they were playing in the bubble, they, they clearly looked like the, they were the best team in the league by far. And this year, just like the injuries to LeBron, it's, it's the most games LeBron's ever missed during the regular season. Anthony Davis missed a ton of games. Yeah, they signed Drummond like late in the season. They're trying to fit him in. Drummond is just like a weird fit. I mean, we watched him That's for a, a ton of years of with the Pistons. Super talented. You know, he always puts up some good numbers. But, like, in today's NBA, he's just kind of a weird fit because he doesn't really have an outside shot, but he can rebound. So, you know, they're still trying to figure him out. But, right, like you said, Rondo is a huge loss, you know, because he's just so, so experienced. And, you know, I don't. it just seems like they're a little out of sync. But, I mean, you were kind of tweeting about it too, Jared, a little bit. As long as LeBron's on their team and as long as he's healthy and, you know, Anthony Davis is kind of like the, their second player, I'm, I'm not going to count them out because – I just if they can put it together for one series, I still think they're the best team in the league. But yeah. I, I think you're right. The Suns are super talented, and so are a bunch of other teams. So I'll be curious to see that that series might go seven. Who knows? You know, guys, I had an epiphany too watching watching the early 
games here in the NBA playoffs. You know, we've had the debate before about players back in the uh, 60s and 70s and how they would stack up. And, you know, we had that whole debate ad nauseum. Uh, you know, it's hard to compare generations because if it was the greatest player in the 70s, he would make the adjustments and probably be in that upper echelon nowadays. But I do have to admit this. Watching these guys play basketball, it's it's at a it's a surreal level. They are so good. I mean, and it's like the three point line is nothing nowadays. I mean, these these guys really, it's just it's mind boggling how good they are. It really is. No, it is. And Jeff Van Gundy, he, I mean, a bunch of other people do too. But I feel like Jeff Van Gundy. I've heard him multiple times when he's calling a game, basically say what you just said when when Luka Doncic or Steph Curry or LeBron or someone makes like a ridiculous shot. He just—he's almost like at a loss for words. He's almost just like, I can't explain how difficult that shot is. That right. they just made look routine. I mean, you got Steph Curry shooting forty footers like it's nothing. Damian Lillard just pulling up from the logo like it's nothing. And that's the—we don't need to get into that debate. But like the skill level of these players, I'm not knocking sixties, seventies NBA, but the skill level of these dudes. I mean, you got seven footers that can shoot. Kevin Durant's basically seven feet tall, and he's a point guard for the most part. And it's just. These dudes are so good. It, it, yeah. That's why I sit back and watch. I just laugh sometimes. That's the stuff they do. It's amazing. I'm I'm just I'm surprised to hear you say this, Ted. I mean, did you not see Bob Cousy dribble out the clock all those years ago? <laughs> I mean, that was pretty electric. <laughs> hey, listen, man. Give me credit where credit's due. You know, these guys are really phenomenal. I mean, we all know that you could not take a player from the '60s and put him out there right now. They'd get destroyed. There's no question about it. <laughs> you know, our debate from my angle anyway was. The, they they if they were the greatest at that era, they would still be in the top tier nowadays. They'd have a different game. But again, can't take anything away from these guys. They're just absolutely incredible athletes. They obviously put the work in to make the skills work, and it's just incredible to watch. I, I'm just enjoying the heck out of it, and it's just starting. It's awesome. All right, guys, I, I think that gets us caught up to date on things. Let's uh, let's take a short little break here and hook up with Trent Courtright because he was in South Carolina at the PGA, and we're going to hear some inside stuff. That's coming up next. The Hankard Sportswear team pride themselves by giving a good product at a great value. The area's go-to clothing and more printing business with many loyal customers. They do it by providing 100% guarantee to satisfy your expectations. Hankard Sportswear always have Owasso, Corona, and St. Paul School Spirit items in stock. Also, special items for family, sporting, business, and charity events. Call them at 989-725-2979, stop on into the store on Exchange Street in downtown Owasso, and follow them on Facebook at hankard.sportswear. Nelson House Funeral Home's number one goal is to serve the families in our community. The Nelson House staff are proud to serve our local community with reliability, integrity, and compassion. Their top priority is caring for our friends and neighbors and being right there when you need them the most. Unique service to represent unique lives. In Mid Michigan, ensuring your loved ones receive the honor and celebration they deserve. The business started all the way back in 1880 and continues the tradition today with chapels in Owasso, Chesanine, and New Lothrop. For more details, find them at nelson house.com or call 989 723 5234. Success Group Mortgage and Servicing is a mortgage and land contract services company that's focused on your success. Led by Jim Woodworth, 
Success Group Mortgage provides one-on-one -on -one service with a personal touch. Located in downtown Owasso, call for an appointment at 989-720-4380 or find more info on the web at successgroupmortgage.com. Sheridan Auction Service always has a wide variety of items and real estate on the docket. Stay up to date by checking their website at SheridanAuctionService.com. Looking out for you, Sheridan Auction Service. All right, we are now welcomed by my good friend and fellow GVSU alum, joining me and Matt as well with that. Uh, he's from PGM. He went to Ferris before I met up with him at, at Grand Valley. He uh, graduated from there with a professional golf management degree. Since then, he's been a caddy all over the country pretty much, just a golf aficionado. But most notably, he is now a official PGA caddy on the PGA Championship this past weekend in Cut at Kauai Island for his uh, good friend, Tim Pierce. So I guess first off, Trent, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for joining us. And then secondly, can you just maybe start with the whole backstory on how you guys even qualified for the PGA Championship and maybe how you met Tim and sort of how this whole story even began uh, about a month ago? Yeah, so I met Tim, like you said, when we were up at Ferris State. Tim's a graduate of the program and a PGA member as well. Basically, we met in 2013 up there. He's from Birmingham Seaholm, and we were in the same class. He just kind of kicked it off right away, and he was a guy that I played golf with a lot competitively up there. But we, he's been moving across the country doing his various internships and stuff for the PGA, and we've been connecting down in Florida the last couple of years in the wintertime. I've gone down there and played with him quite a bit, and pretty much it came up that he qualified through the Michigan PGA section to be a part of the 2021 PGA Professional Championship, which is hosted at Port St. Lucie Golf Club. And mm -hmm. uh, he gave me a call. It was one of the best calls I've ever picked up. And he said he needed a guy. He needed a looper. And it meant a lot to me to have him call me. And so we headed down there to the PPC is what the abbreviation is for it. And we just kind of, we had a goal to obviously make the top 20, the top 20 players out of 312 at that event qualify for the PGA Championship. And it was a rocky road uh, in the final round. We were five under par through three rounds. And going into the final round, we had a rough start, um, tough wind on that day, and we were six over through four, which put us one outside the cut line for that top 20. <laughs> and we, we just had to rally. Uh, we had a little bit of a discussion walking to the fifth tee after the poor start, and he turned it around. And he went one under the last 14, played the last 14 under par, and made about a two-foot putt to go to the PGA Championship. So that's how it all, kind of all started. So what was that like when you basically found out you've been a golf fan your whole life, clearly a big fan of golf still. What was it like when you found out you were going to the PGA Championship? Did you know, like, before the last putt dropped, like, hey, he needs to make this or we're probably not going? Yeah, we knew exactly where we were. They, they do a good job there at PGA of putting up the scoreboards and keeping us pretty much updated as we go through the course. I know that guys – get asked on tour all the time, are you scoreboard watching or do you even care about that? Do you want to know where you're at? And we 100% wanted to know where we were at. We were looking at the scoreboard. So when we got to 17, uh, 17 is par three, about 225 yards. We knew that we needed to go one under the last two. And I'm not sure if you guys have seen the video on Golf mm -hmm. Channel and all that, but he had a putt from about eight feet below the hole that was breaking more and players were initially reading. We played it out just far enough, and it hung on the lip for about four and a half seconds and then fell in the bottom of the cup. So. Wow. Well, what a thrill for sure. And, you know, you get, you get the word you're going to the PGA Championship. 
I always like to know some of the background stuff, you know. So so you, you, you get the invite. What are some of the details as far as how do they hook you up? Are you on your own for, for lodging? You know, how does it all work? And kind of walk us through when you show up to the course for the very first time in practice and, and kind of the routine. Yeah, so basically we, we were on our own logistics-wise. The PGA was in contact with us throughout those two weeks leading up to the event. So we knew where we could stay and how we were going to get around and getting the courtesy car from the PGA and stuff. But basically the expenses were up to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tim's, Tim's Club at Birmingham Country Club was really generous. They donated a bunch of money and GoFundMe and pretty much took care of us for not only the PPC but this week at the PGA. So just grateful to them for that. But we got there on – I got there Saturday night, had to COVID test and register, um, and then we went to the golf course and played nine on Sunday, and there really wasn't that many guys there because there was a lot of guys still playing at the tour event in Dallas the week before. Um, so it was nice to just get there the first day, see a few of the guys, learn what, learn kind of what to do logistics-wise around the course with the locker room and dining and all that stuff. And it was just a cool first day, but it really hit us that we were at the PGA Championship on Monday when all those guys had flown in from the previous tournament and we walked out of the uh, locker room door and were staring dead in the face with Dustin Johnson, Jordan Spieth, Ricky Fowler, Bryson DeChambeau. I mean, you name them, they were there. And Tim walked out of the locker room and we went to the putting green and he's like, dude, I don't know if I can putt right now. (laughs) And I said, what are you going to do, WD on Monday? (laughs) So we finally went out there and we started rolling putts, and that's where it all kicked off. He's obviously a pro, and, you know, you've, you've been around the golf game for a long time, too. And, but I can't imagine, you know, that first time. You've got to be a little starstruck. So I can't imagine what it would be like seeing some of those big names. But I've got I to ask, like, kind of along those lines, like being around the best golfers in the world, you know. And we've talked before on the pod about different eras of basketball, football, you know, whatever sport it is, and just, like, the difference in skill level and stuff like that. You're a very good golfer. Tim is a great golfer. All of that. But what is like? What, what have you noticed? Like, especially now that you've seen it right in front of your face. I, I guess the the big difference. If you had to pinpoint one, two, three things between you know guys that are really good at golf, and then the guys that end up like Brooks Kepka, Phil Mickelson, and you know stuff like that. Yeah, it's. I mean, I would say the number one thing is all about their process. I mean, they they walk like a professional. They talk and act like a professional pretty much from when they get out of their car at the ballet until when they get back in it. I mean, just a structured practice routine, structured, I would say, like mental management around the course. And these guys just hit it so darn straight and so darn consistent. I mean, I was sitting out there watching Rory hit three woods on Sunday, and it was dead downwind, so he's just throwing them up in the air. And I bet he carried his three woods five times in a row. 300 yards, and they all landed within five yards of each other. So the guy's consistency out there is just unbelievable. Was that, like, maybe the most, like, starstruck you were throughout the whole weekend, or was it maybe you walked right by Phil out of the bathroom, or was there any sort of moment like that that you kind of were maybe lost for words? Yeah, so I'm actually glad this happened right at the beginning of the week. So I got there Saturday night, woke up, and got to the COVID testing center at 7 a.m. sharp. And when I pulled in the parking lot, Martin Keimer was getting out of his car, and he walked to the registration. So I walked right behind him, and the, the official work in the registration said, Martin, you're the first person to register. Then he kind of looked at me and was like, who the heck are you? <laughs> but you're number two. And then I turned around, and Dustin Johnson's right there, and he was number three. 
So I got my COVID test sitting right next to Dustin Johnson, and then I walked back to my car, and Bones, uh, Phil's old caddy, walked up, and he actually caddied for Max Homa this past week. He walked up and started talking to DJ, and I was just kind of ushered into this conversation with Bones and DJ standing in there in the parking lot at 7.05 before I had even gone to the course. So I'm kind of glad that happened just because I was like, wow, I'm talking to the number one player in the world right now. So that kind of calmed my nerves a little bit um, going into the property for sure. So once you get there, what is your, uh, Caddy's job? Like, what did you do uh, during your guys' practice rounds? Are you sort of like pacing out the course, like measuring out the greens? Like, I'm not even sure. What exactly is your job in those first few practice rounds? Yeah, so – Tim and I have this routine that we've been doing since we've been together. Um, I mean, we kind of try to play the course straight up, especially the first time. We don't keep exact score, but once we get around the greens, we'll go to trouble spots. We'll throw balls down and have them chip from different areas, and then we won't putt to the pin that is used that day. I mean, if we want to keep score, we obviously will, but we'll throw four or five balls down in the middle of the green, and we'll putt to every corner of the green, and then from there we'll putt back to the middle. And they give us uh, the official yardage book and stuff at registration. So, so to, like, go through that and start making notes with the other content that's already in there, that's kind of our process. Trent, you've been to a lot of good courses. You golfed a lot of nice courses. How does this one stack up? I mean, it looked great on television. Yeah, so this course is unreal. It is so tough. I think it was the longest yardage they've played in a major championship ever. Um, when we got there, they said 7,873 yards was the distance. And I was talking with Sam Horsfield, who we were paired with the first two days, great young player from England. And he was asking me, he's like, what's your handicap and what do you think you would shoot out here? And I was thinking about guys from my club that I play with, and I was telling him, I'm like, I think there's only a couple of guys at our club that could break 90 out here. That's how hard it is. I mean, just the length of the course, some of the carries on the par force just to get over the hazard were like 250, 255. So I heard earlier in the week, too, Joel Damon said that a five handicap wouldn't break 100, and I honestly think that's true. The wind is everything out there. If you guys noticed, mm-hmm. the first three days of the tournament, the wind was out of the east, and then the last day it completely flipped and went out of the west. So it was like a completely different golf course. With that east wind, it's so tough because you get on this stretch where you go all the way out on the back nine and then turn around on 14 to par three, and you were just hitting dead into the wind off the ocean the whole way back in. So I think I saw a stat earlier in the week that said 14 through 18 was playing, like, the hardest stretch of holes ever in a major championship. And, I mean, the course will just bite you if you get in the wrong spot. There's a bunch of false fronts. The greens are built up. So, I mean, if you don't place your ball in the right position out there, and even sometimes if you do hit a good shot, it's not going to end up in a spot where you want. And so it's just a constant grind for all 18. Yeah, I've, uh, you know, I'm, I'm down here in North Carolina, just a few hours from Kiwa Island, and some of my uh, coworkers have played the ocean course, and they've said basically everything you just said. Well, one of the most dif- difficult courses ever for the length and for the sand and then also just the wind whipping off the ocean. But they've said, like, it's one of those courses where you almost, unless you're playing competitively, of course, but you almost don't care what your score is because you're just, like, soaking in the scenery. Like, you just want to take pictures of what you're seeing. So it definitely would be cool to see. But I wanted to ask you about kind of, like, the nerves. And, you know, like I said, I mean, you guys are you, you're pros. I mean, you, you know how to golf. You know what you're doing on the golf course. But, you know, being the first big event, especially the PGA Championship, and, you know, seeing the stars and stuff like that, you, you know, you talked about, 
being a little starstruck and, you know, talking about going out to the putting green and being like, holy crap, I can't even putt right now. But, like, once you start playing, you kind of settle in, right? Like, once you guys get you, – you hit that first drive and you get to, like, number two or three – you guys kind of just settle in and start golfing, right? Is that kind of what it felt like? Yeah, we did. I, I actually think that Tim was less nervous than me on the first tee. I did see his hand shaking a little bit on the club. But, I mean, when I walked to the tee and the official got on the microphone and said, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 103rd PGA Championship, I just got the biggest chill going down my spine. And Tim bogeyed the first two holes, so we were already off to kind of a rough start behind the eight ball. But – he parred the third hole and then dropped about a 25-footer for birdie on our fourth hole, which was number 13 because we started on the back the first round. But Tim had a bunch of buddies that flew in from all across the country. And when he made that putt on 13, the green kind of sits down below where the fans stand. And when that mm-hmm. putt went in, his buddies just went absolutely nuts. And there was people coming up to us later in the week saying, like, we heard the roars from Tim Pierce's group, and we thought it was like Phil, or we thought it was DJ's <laughs> roars or something like that. That's how loud they were. So after that big roar, we, we really settled in. And, I mean, the pros and the, and the caddies out there, too, were just so nice to us. I mean, there was not one time that we were out there on the course where we felt like we didn't belong out there or guys were giving, giving us the cold shoulder. It was just class from each and every guy we came in contact with all week. That's awesome. What, so how would you describe how you guys played? Like, was there a certain number you guys wanted to shoot heading into the week that was the goal to make the cut? Like, how would you kind of rate the, your guys' play this weekend? Yeah, the goal was to make the cut, and Tim and I always have this goal, too, together that we don't want to make any double bogeys. So, I mean, okay. doubles, triples, especially in a major championship, I mean, it's hard not to make them. But on the first hole, Tim went bunker to bunker and then had about a 12, 15-footer for bogey. So we're staring double right in the face off the first hole. But he luckily made that putt for bogey, so we kind of kept that for a while. I mean, it's just so tough to plot your way around there. I think that the goal of having no doubles was maybe a little bit crazy based on how hard the course ended up playing. But that's just, I mean, that's just what we need to do to manage ourselves out there. I mean, if you don't make big numbers, you're going to have a chance to make the cut. Trent, I got one more question for you from my end. It's kind of a generic question, but I always like to hear the observation. You, you had this big thrill. And, and you got to you know, have this bucket list item, you know, you could check off. Out of that weekend, what stood out the most to you? I would say just the memories that we made off the golf course. Um, I was staying with Tim and his parents, and Tim's swing coach, Gary, from Birmingham Country Club came down. And just to, like, go home after the round, sit down and truly appreciate what we were actually doing and even, like, turn on the coverage and watch other guys play on the same holes that we were just walking a few hours earlier. Earlier, I mean, that was awesome because Tim and I just looked over at each other like probably 15 or 20 times and just started laughing, shaking our heads, watching the coverage. And, I mean, just to be there with one of my best friends and to see him capture that dream, I mean, that, that's what meant the most to me. Uh, just a couple more questions for you, Trent, before we let you go. Uh, thanks again for doing this. You've got to ask you about the champion. I mean, Phil Mickelson, what can you tell us about just what you saw from him this weekend? I mean, it's crazy that he did it at 50, let alone the fact that he did it, you know, just so kind of running away with it in the fashion. What was the crowd like, and what was it like watching him this weekend? Yeah, so Sunday we went to the golf course about a half hour before Phil teed off, and we were like, we're following Phil all day. we got to be here if he gets this done. And so the best, one of the best parts was on number five when he chips in out of the bunker. 
because we were standing right there behind the green, and the place just went berserk. And after that, there was just a little bit of a buzz around the course, all around Phil. So <laughs> we, we, we were a part of that crowd, I, I will admit, in the fairway. We went down the left side of 18, Phil hit his drive over there within 10 yards of us. Oh, wow. And I looked at my buddy Kevin, who was walking with me, and Brooks was second to play from the fairway there. And I looked at him, and I said, dude, this place is going to erupt when Brooks makes contact. I said, if we're going to go, we need to run to the middle of the fairway right away. So we did, and it was just a madhouse in there. Like, people shoving each other around and people all excited, high-fiving, people spilling beers all over each other. And I'm just glad that Phil got through there. It sounds like Brooks might have got dinged a little bit. But, uh, oh, just, I mean, I'm happy for Phil to see him do it at 50 and to encourage these older guys, too, to keep going. I mean, Louis Oosthuizen isn't the youngest guy either, and, He's up there on the leaderboard. So I just think it's good for the game of golf. We've got golf in a great spot, a lot of good young guys out there, but also these old guys that are hitting bombs, literally Phil's hitting bombs still, keeping up with these guys. And just to see him give that confidence to the older guys out there in Tour 2 was awesome. That's awesome. I, I mean, I loved watching it on TV. I can't imagine what it was like being in that crowd. It looked just incredible. Uh, last question for you. I sent a, I sent you a video before we recorded of my golf swing. <laughs> you clearly, you are actually, you've given a lot of golf lessons in your day. Mm-hmm. What would you correct about my swing, and maybe what did you like? Because it is a pretty good-looking swing, if I do say so myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will leave with this. So your swing, I think that you could swing about five times and the amount of time that it takes Sung J M or Hideki Matsuyama to hit the ball. I mean, the, temp- the tempo is quick. The speed's there. The power's there. I can see it. I mean, you're, you're a little upright. I see, I see you got an upright. What's your, what's your miss, Jared? Like, do you miss, like, big fade? It's usually like, uh, slice. slice. Yeah, slice. Okay, yeah. Big time slice. So if, if I were to spend some time with you, I would probably get you a little bit further away from the ball, like feet-wise. Okay and then get a little bit more um, hip hinge there because you stand a little bit straight up, which would then bump your shoulders back a little bit to get you in better posture. And, I mean, the speed is already there. I can see you swinging hard. I like swinging hard. So (laughs) that's the first thing I would correct. But just like I tell everybody, I mean, the golf swing is one thing, being able to manage your way around the course, and especially with your short game and putting. You can have – one of the ugliest golf swings in the world, as long as you can make contact. And if you're a good chipper and a putter, you're going to beat a lot of people. So, yeah. hey, we got to get working on that, though. Yeah, I will charge, yeah, we do. I know. charge him next are time. Gonna, are you going to come down and are we going to play for B-dubs or what? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I will only accept that if I get about uh, 15 strokes, maybe more. Uh, What's your cap right yeah, now? Yeah, we're definitely going to be playing. What, say that again? What's your handicap? handicap? So, I had my buddy, you know Kraus. Oh, yeah. Maybe not the brightest ball, but he calculated my handicap. It's uh, it's at a nine. That's where I'm sitting right now. All right, I'll give you eleven. <laughs> All right, sounds Turn, good. I gotta ask you a quick follow up to to you breaking down Jared's swing before we get you out of here. So yeah, I've always I, I grew up I played baseball my whole life. I've always been a casual golfer, and I will I'll admit that I'm, I'm the weekend hacker that just likes to go out and have fun. I do like golf a lot, but I've always used since I played baseball my whole life. I've always used that I have a baseball swing as my excuse, as why I'm slicing the hell out of the ball, can't hit the ball straight. When I come back, you know, it looks like I'm bringing a baseball bat and I'm about to hit, you know, a line drive up the middle to center field. Is that a good excuse, or should I stop using I've got a baseball swing as my excuse? I think it's a good excuse. I mean, we see it so often, though. I mean, I would say 90% of 
like amateur golfers or weekend golfers, they slice the ball. I mean, it's hard to turn the ball over. And people usually start playing baseball before they play golf. Like I know in, in middle school for me, I played baseball because we didn't have a middle school golf team. So, I mean, I yeah. definitely think it's a valid excuse. But if you can get the ball turning over right to left and you can do that consistently, that makes golf a lot more fun because you're going to hit it farther and you're going to have more control, in my opinion. The worst thing ever is I just I feel myself just hitting the piss out of the ball and then it slices. 200 yards to the next hole. I'm just like, that would have been a 320-yard drive, but it just sliced two holes over. So, But I keep coming hey, you back might have for to that one, to the that one and hole. ride on over with Jared, then I'll, we'll just do a dual lesson. <laughs> All right. Well, yep. well, you're taking care of two of us. Uh, I'm hopeless, Trent. I won't waste your time, but uh, I will say this. This was a lot of fun, you know, reliving your excitement from last weekend. I didn't realize you were able to stick around and be there Sunday. That uh, that kind of gave me a chill thinking about it, you know, because watching that crowd on television and, and seeing Mickelson win it, that's a, that's a special, special uh, deal, and you got to share it with your friends. So, so that was awesome. We really appreciate the time. We look forward to checking in with you down the road and talking a little bit more golf. Why don't you tell our listeners uh, us where they can uh, find you best? Yeah, they can find me on uh, on Twitter at TC Sports Insider, or I just started a new Instagram page for golf. It's uh, at T Court Golf. Perfect. Well, we appreciate the time. We'll definitely be checking that out, and uh, a little later in the summer, maybe we'll we'll check in with you, maybe after the U.S. Open, and get some of your thoughts. How's that sound? Awesome. I love it. Appreciate uh, you guys. Thank you. All right, Trent. We'll talk to you later. Thanks a lot, buddy. That was great stuff there with Trent. Uh, we appreciated him taking the time out to join us, and uh, we're going to be back and talk with Eric Woodyard of ESPN. He's the new Lions insider right after these messages. JJ's Excavating and Tree Service can help you with many homeowner items, including skid steer work, footings, gravel work, and property maintenance. JJ's Excavating and Tree Service, they're also experts in tree removals, including stump grinding. Fully insured and no job too big or too small. Call Kyle Jones of JJ's Excavating and Tree Service at 989-277-9059 to set up a free estimate and tell him Three Point Podcast sent you. The Owasso Speedway has been building families and communities through the promotion of short track racing since 1939. Saturdays are race days at the Big O with gates opening at 4, qualifying beginning at 5, and the waving of the green flag and racing at 7. The Owasso Speedway and its super fast high bank 3 eighths of a mile oval layout has thrills and action galore. Easy to get to on M21 between Owasso and Ovid. Stay up to date on upcoming features by following Owasso Speedway on Facebook at Owasso Speedway MI. It's family fun and you'll always be welcomed by the smiling faces at Owasso Speedway. Rivals Tap House and Grill, the official sports bar of Three Point Podcast. Keep supporting them by calling in your takeout orders. That's Rivals Tap House and Grill in Corona at the corner of M21 and State Road. Advanced Elevator Company have expert field technicians for troubleshooting, repair, and installation of elevators. An area business leader and a huge supporter of the Corona Public Schools. Advanced Elevator. The CoronaConnection.com staff knows it's great to be gold. Keep up to date on Cavalier Nation at CoronaConnection.com. All Corona, all the time. All right, so let's bring in our next guest. We're super excited about this one. Uh, we came across his recent stuff because he has a new job that, that our listeners and we're very excited about. So uh, we're going to bring in Eric Woodyard. 
He's a Michigander, just like the three of us, born and raised in Flint, Michigan. So, first of all, thanks, Eric, for joining us. No, I appreciate y'all. You know, I got to look off of my Michigander, so I appreciate y'all for yeah. thinking of it. No, for sure, especially when we saw your new gig, which which I'll get to that in a second, with your new gig, growing up in Flint, being a Western Michigan alum, I was like, all right, I got to reach out to this guy. So, so yeah, the, the new gig is with ESPN. You've, you've been with ESPN for a little while, doing a few different jobs, boxing, some NBA and stuff like that. But you're the new Detroit Lions insider for ESPN. So, so that's awesome for us. We love talking about our Lions. You know, you know, growing up in Michigan, all about the Lions. So we're going to get to the Lions in a little bit. But the first question that I want to ask you is about growing up in Flint. So the three of us are from Corona, about 20 minutes from Flint. You know, so we, yeah, we know Flint, about yeah. the city. Yeah, yeah, Corona yeah. Road, right right into Flint from Corona. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. we, we know about the city a little bit. We played a lot of Flint schools, you know, growing up playing sports and stuff like that. Ted was around during, I guess, if you want to say the heyday of Flint. So Ted definitely remembers, you know, back, back in the 60s and 70s Flint. But what I want to yeah. ask you about is, you know, the Flint pride. And I've, I've lived in New England for a few years, lived down now, now in North Carolina for a while. And a lot of people who I talk to who haven't been to Michigan, haven't been to Flint, you know, all they see are the bad headlines and, you know, the stuff that kind of paints a bad picture of Flint. Can you talk about why that's just not like a fair way to represent Flint and why you're so proud to be from Flint? I think it's just been embedded in us from the jump, you know, like we're just tough-minded. We love our city, you know, from day one it's been put into us, you know, to carry that Flintstone pride, that Flintstone tradition. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a little younger, I'm 32, but, you know, I think it was passed down from generation to generation, but the generation that passed it down to me was the Flintstones, Mateen Cleese, Morris mm-hmm. Peterson, Charlie Dale, Tony L. Smith. You know, being able to see and touch those guys and how active they were in the community and just being able to be around and pick their brain and, you know, be able to call them big brothers, you know, even when they won that national championship in 2000, they were so accessible, and I think that just lit a fire in all of us, especially at my age, so it's like, we just carry that tradition, man. We, we're proud of our, our community. We know we got to be tough to make it out of where we're from. I know every city feel like, you know, we can make it from their city. You know, you can do anything, but that's really a mentality in here in Flint. And you see it, a reflection in all the different athletes that, you know, come out. You say you're in Charlotte, so you see it in Miles Bridges. You see it in, you know, uh, Kyle Kuzma. You see mm-hmm. it in Monte Morris. You know, Clarissa Shields, the boxer. I can go on and on with athletes. Mark Ingram in the NFL, you know, Blake Taylor, he's playing for the Green Bay Packers right now. So many athletes that are from Flint that represent us, and it's that tough dog mentality, and I think it's just been passed down from generation to generation, and um, starting with just the OGs of the city. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, Flintstones, so I know this is going to be a tough question, uh, but if you had to pick one specific athlete that's come out of Flint, who do you think the best is? Is it Mark Ingram? Is it Charlie Bell? Who is it? Yeah, that's a that's a it's a loaded question. So yeah, people in Flint are, are going to say something totally different. Like it, it depends on the generation. Mm-hmm. So some of the older generation, some of the older people might say Andre Rice, and they might say Glenn Rice. Some say Eric Turner, who never made it to the NBA. He was a high school legend, high school phenom. Yeah, you got Kelvin Torber, who was a high school phenom. Uh, right now, you know, you got Mark Ingram up there, Clarissa Shields, what she's doing in boxing. So it really it's a generational thing. You know, the best I ever saw, like just a player was Corey Hightower. He never made it to the NBA, but yeah. well, he, he did get drafted to the NBA from a junior college, but he, he didn't make it past uh, preseason. But he was the best player that I ever watched. I mean, I thought he was better than Mo Pete and mm-hmm. all those guys, but he just, you know, situations happen. But, I mean, it, that's a generational question. But pound for pound, the most accomplished would have to be Glenn Wright. Yeah. 
You know, uh, Eric, we're talking about generational things. This podcast is really very highly focused on the different generations. I'm the elder statesman, and, you know, I go back when Terry Furlow was just an unbelievable player back in Flint in the day. And I also, you brought up Eric Turner. Uh, It was an annual affair to go to the state semifinals at Breslin on the Friday afternoon. And that was back in the days with Flint Central, Flint Northern, all those teams and great players. It was just a great era. It was definitely before your time. But, you know, Flint has just a great tradition of tremendous athletes. Yeah, speaking of Terry Furlow, I was just uh, did another podcast and I also done a few stories over the years and talked to Magic Johnson about him. He was a big mentor to Magic Johnson. You know, he was a hell of a player, man. But like you say, his life was, you know, cut short tragically. But he was yeah. a hell of a player, hell of an athlete. Yeah, man. You can go back way, way back in the day. Been like Paul Cross, who played at Bentley. Yeah. But he's in the he's in the NFL Hall of Fame. I think he's the all-time interceptions leader. So we got you know athletes today. You know? Yeah, I know one one story I always hear about. So my parents were both born and raised in Flint. They went to Flint Southwestern. I still have a bunch of family who lives in Flint. So, so I, I didn't grow up there, but I definitely know about Flint. But I always hear stories about Rick Leach. My dad went to school yeah. with Rick Leach, yep. and then obviously he went to Michigan and did some other stuff too. So, yeah, it, it's cool to hear those stories about Flint. I mean, we're, we're Michigan fans on this podcast, but I remember those Flintstone days with Mo Pete and all those guys you're talking about. It was definitely cool. And, you know, it's been a little while for the Big Ten to win that, you know, win a national championship in college basketball, but that's still really proud. I mean, you can tell. I can hear the pride coming from you, even though that was now 21 years ago. Those Flintstones, I mean, that's some Flint pride right there, right? Oh, yeah, for sure, man. It's, it's, it's so much pride. Like you said, even Rick Leach, you can go to Jim Abbott, <laughs> a one-handed MLB pitcher. You know, yep. it's a lot of pride, man, just from years and years. Chris Bird, the heavyweight champion of the world, you know, like, and that's just been embedded in us. Like that's like I know the water crisis and everything gets a lot of attention, but like you know, people that really know, you know, they they know what's up. Like a lot of people, I, I covered the NBA for years, so you know, I would be in a lot of different places. And um, you tell you from Flint, you automatically get respect for sure. Well, you talked about the NBA, so let's uh, your career. So I, I set it up that you are now with ESPN. You've been with ESPN for a little while, but now your title is Detroit Lions Insider. You're the NFL reporter for the Detroit Lions. Went to Western Michigan. Ted's a Central Michigan alum. Jared and I both went to Grand Valley. So, so yeah, yeah I, I don't want to hear that, that Central Western uh, rivalry. Yeah, that's Central Western rivalry. We all Michigan today, though. I ain't going to hold it against them. But. Yep. <laughs> End of the world parties, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but let's uh, so talk about your career a little bit. Like you said, you, you uh, covered the NBA, some boxing. How did you kind of end up with ESPN? You know, covering the NBA, boxing, and then now with the NFL. Like, what, what's kind of your background? Yeah, man, it's crazy. So, uh, you know, growing up, everybody in here wanted to play basketball, wanted to make it to the NBA. And I got to a point in high school, it's like, man, you know, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm a good player, but I'm not good enough to go professional. So, I really, uh, when, when I went to Western, I didn't, I knew what, I didn't know what journalism was. I read like the Slam magazine. I used to read the Flint Journal, and I read it and stuff, but I didn't know that that was like a real job. You know, like I didn't know that was like a livelihood thing. So when I got to Western, like my first day, I graduated from Flint Southwestern in 2006. So I got I came to Western, and the first day, like fall welcome week, I asked, what can I do to mix basketball and writing? They told me sports journalism, and I just kind of took off from there. So I uh, worked for the school paper. Mm-hmm. I did like an internship for Slam Magazine, did some television interns. And when I got out of college, the Flint Journal hired me within two weeks of me being out of school, and I worked there for six years. I able to develop relationships with a lot of young athletes coming up. 
uh, such as Kuzma and Monte Morris and Caressa and, you know, all the, all the young Thomas Ross, Mark Henry. There was a lot of people that were coming up at the time. So I, I covered all those guys. And then I went out to Salt Lake City. I covered the Utah Jazz. So I covered Donovan Mitchell's first two years in NBA. Uh, they went to the playoffs both years. And then uh, ESPN came to hire me in 2019. So I, I was originally hired to cover the NBA. Um, I had the whole Midwest region. I lived in Chicago. I had the Bulls, Bucks, Pacers, Pistons, um, Timberwolves, you know, all the teams uh, in that division. Mm-hmm. And um, when the pandemic hit, you know, I kind of worked remotely from Michigan at that point, and they thought it would be a good idea for me to uh, try something new. They, they they came to me with the idea of covering the Detroit Lions, and that's how I'm here, man. So I'm just like, trying to give it my all. I never covered the NFL on a full-time basis, but I see it as a challenge, and I'm just ready to get, I'm ready to get going. You know, we can we can tell that uh, you're passionate about sports and do a tr- fantastic job of writing, but also it's all about the hustle too, isn't it? I mean, you got to hustle yeah. to make it in that industry. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> Man, I went from Flint to Salt Lake City. I mean, that's not, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is. You know, I had to do something <laughs> to show that I really, you know, I really wanted it, and that was like the best decision I ever could have made. My mom actually, when I took that job, she said, "Like, what the hell is in Salt Lake City? Like, you really want to be there?" <laughs> And I saw it as an opportunity, and it was like the perfect time. And now this team is number one in the league. When I went there, they was like, who was even on the team? And had I not took that opportunity, I wouldn't be here. So I think for a lot of young reporters and a lot of young journalists, you know, when the opportunity arises, it might not look like what you think it looked like, but if you pursue it and go after it, you know, it can turn into something amazing. That's the same thing I'm in, same situation I'm in now. I didn't envision myself covering the NFL, but, hey, it's the Detroit Lions. I mean, some yeah. people might see them as a sick team that's horrible, but I'm from Michigan. Mm-hmm. Well, I take pride in that, you know what I mean? So it had it been any other NFL team, I probably wouldn't even have considered it. But the fact that it is, you know, a hometown team and, you know, they're, they're starting from the ground up, you know, brand-new head coach, brand-new general manager, even a Flintstone on the coaching staff and Aubrey Pleasant. You know, it's just a lot of great things that they have going on. Even if they're not the best this year, I think they're moving in the right direction, and, and, and that's something I like to be a part of. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's important to me, at least, just as a Lions fan, that the inside guy is somebody that's from Michigan that's had to deal with all the heartbreaks that we've had over the years. I just want to go back to Flint for one last question. Um, do you have any problem with players, or I guess, what are your just overall, overall thoughts on like players like Kyle Kuzma, Miles Bridges, who maybe leave Flint uh, when they're you know a top prospect or whatever, and go to a prep school? Is that is that something you just wish didn't happen? Do you not blame them for doing that? What are your overall thoughts on that? Well, Monte was one of the few that stayed. Monte won state championships and won Mr. Basketball at Beecher High School. Mm -hmm. I think everybody's situation is different. For Monte, that was the best for him. He he was like a legend in high school, even at Beecher High School. And that's, you know, Flint Beecher High School. Miles Bridges, I mean, he got, you know, he got a lot of more exposure. He actually wanted to come back home his senior year with his mom. You know, she thought it would be better for him to stay away, just yeah. to you know, stay away from the distractions and the crime. And mm-hmm. you know, it's a tough, it's, it's a tough time that's been hit hard. So, and with Cool's situation, is the same thing. You know, he, he kind of wanted to get get on the national radar. I don't really, um, I don't knock it. You know, they they continue to rep the city. Yeah, they don't act like you know if they if they go somewhere else, it's not like they're saying they're from that place. They're still representing yeah. the city. Cool still comes back. You know, host camps, Miles Bridges, all those guys. So I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a problem with them. That's kind of just a new wave of what's what's going on now. I mean, it's, it's kind of unique what, what Imani Bates has been able to do by starting mm-hmm. his own prep school in Michigan. But, I mean, they, you know, guys have to keep up with the national competition, so I, I understand it. I'm not mad about it at all. Let me ask you a question about the meat and potatoes of, of what you're doing. Uh, you know, now that you're seasoned at 32, but you're starting new with the Lions, 
How do you envision your your day to day? I mean, are you going to be hanging out at the at the Lions offices down in Allen Park? What, what would your uh, daily routine be? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be attending practices. I'm just I'm going to go into it and give it my all. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. not an everyday beat writer, which is something that's you know different for me. I just I have to find the most uh, interesting national story. So uh, it might not be writing off every press conference, but it's just finding the best possible stories and being at every game. I'm gonna come give it my all. You know, that's that's what it is. Like on a day to day basis. Every media availability, I'm going to be there, uh, win or lose. I'm going to be there, ask a question, trying to find the best possible story. So, that, I mean, that's, if they need me on television, I'll be doing that. I was doing television a little bit on the uh, NBA side. I had appeared on the jump and, you know, been on a, a few different things. And uh, I just see me, me doing the same thing on this, this side of the NFL, and that's just finding the best stories. Quick follow-up on that. Uh, when you were first starting out and, you know, made it maybe to your first or second or third press conference, and ask your first question. Do you remember what it was and how nervous you were? <laughs> I was a little nervous because I'm like, you know, I, I want to make sure I, I'm not saying nothing crazy or yeah. you know, I got the lingo right. So I did. I want to say it was was it Brad Holmes? It might have been Brad Holmes. Wow. It, it might have been Brad. I can't remember specifically what I asked, but I mean, yeah, I wasn't necessarily like nervous. I just wanted to make sure I didn't sound stupid or nothing like that. So, <laughs> yeah, it was just uh, it was it, it was fun though. We actually got a chance to meet Brad and uh. Damn, um, over the weekend they had a rookie mini camp, so that was pretty cool. And yeah, man, it's, it's just it's exciting. It's an exciting time in for the Lions. I mean, absolutely people might not see it that way, but I mean, locally everybody's fired up about yeah. the new regime. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, and you're talking about the hustle, and I mean, listening to your talk, you're you're gonna bust your ass, and I think you're gonna fit right in with that new coaching staff, like Dan Campbell, because that's all he talks about is hustle, <laughs> taking advantage of your opportunity. And then you were talking about going to those press conferences and trying to buy, find the best story. And I've said if, if one thing is going to happen, and we've talked about it on the podcast, if one thing's going to happen this year, the Lions, there's always going to be something to talk about with the Lions because Dan Campbell is always going to win the press conference. Have you kind of seen any of that? Or what's kind of the vibe you're getting you know, early on from Dan Campbell? Does he seem like a guy that's going to get this team going in the right direction? I, I think so, man. And I think you know nobody's coming in expecting the Lions to win a Super Bowl this year or – make the playoffs this year. Everybody knows it's in the middle. It's, it, we're in the midst of a rebuild, you know, right now. I think uh, I think he, he has the right mindset. You know, they even how they drafted this year. You look at the, how they drafted, started with Pene Sewell. They built from the inside, yeah. you know, and trying to, kind of went to the trenches and done that instead of picking all the sexy picks, how a lot of the general managers have done in the past. I think that's something different. You know, you saw how many receivers have been picked over the years and guys that haven't panned out. So why not try something new? And I think it might be a slower approach to rebuilding, but it seems like they are headed in the right direction. They really, they're, they're taking their time to really do this thing the right way. And I, I, I think Dan Campbell is uh, from just the you know brief interactions I've had with him. He seems like a genuine person. Yeah, yeah, he does. Um... One last question I have in regards to your kind of past. Uh, I'm just looking at some of the names you've kind of interviewed. I mean, LeBron James, Allen Iverson, Carmelo Anthony, J. Cole. Uh, of, of that list, is there one that you were maybe the most excited for? I mean, is it LeBron James? Man, I mean, the most I've ever been excited. Uh, I, like, the first time I ever entered, entered, entered the NBA locker room was, I think it was like 2009. Yeah. It was the year Iverson was traded to the Pistons, and I remember walking in the locker room. I was a teenager at Western, and we just was talking about this trade in the, in the cafeteria, and then I'm there in the locker room the next day. <laughs> and it was just like, uh, see, like I was there so early, you know, for the pregame uh, access to the locker room. I was like the first one walked in, and Iverson was in there, and I was the first time, first and only time I've ever been starstruck. 
you know, so that was pretty crazy. And uh, seeing Kobe Bryant, you know, it wasn't like a traditional long interview, but that was great getting yeah. a chance to meet him. He's my favorite player of all time. So, mm-hmm. you know, getting a chance to meet him and, you know, uh, share a quick moment with him, something I'll never forget. Um, I really enjoyed interviewing LeBron. I got a one-on-one with him one time. He was at Oakland University. When one of his friends was on the coaching staff, oh, I okay. actually got a one-on-one interview with him, which is very, very uh, special to me. Yeah. Other than that, man, I mean, just like all the experiences, I, I, as I referenced before, I really love being out there in Utah those couple of years and seeing that fan base and following Clarissa Shields, you know, is one of the greatest women's boxers of all time. And, um, you know, just a lot of the local stories, too, of not people that are not, you know, um, necessarily celebrities and high-profile athletes, just the local everyday stories. You know, I told stories about, you know, kids in high school who, you know, dealt with being young parents and still trying to, you know, play sports and just all type of great stories that I feel like I've told over the years. And um, I cherish all those moments and memories. You know, before we let you out of here, Eric, uh, uh, something that hits home to you that I saw on your Twitter feed, tell us a little bit about uh, hashtag free Horace Peterson. Yeah, man, that's, that's something that's very, very important to me. Um, right now in Lansing, we have a, a big digital billboard that's going around kind of sharing my family's heartbreak and our pain of trying to free him and bring him home. And he's been, my grandfather has been incarcerated for 48 years. He, he was with a guy and didn't know a robbery was going to occur. He kind of went along with it, although he didn't have a pistol, didn't have a gun, was in a situation of being with the wrong person at the wrong time. And the guy he was with went in the back room and murdered a, a lady, you know, murdered her for no reason. And uh, my granddad wasn't in the same room, didn't have a gun. They both got hit with first-degree murder. And then I think it happened in 73, in 1980, they made that law unconstitutional. Well, me and you both can't go in a store and, and both get first-degree murder uh, if one per- if only one person afford to pull the trigger. That don't mm-hmm. make sense. But they didn't make it retroactive, which means all the beforehand, you know, that went in under that first-degree murder, uh, life without parole sentence, weren't released. So just imagine this. I compare it to, like, slavery, man. Like, if we abolish slavery, how can we not free all the other slaves that was free before that? How do they yeah. have to remain slaves for the rest of their lives? And that's what we're doing, man. My grandfather is a, a great human being. being I'm a direct reflection of him. You know, everything I've done has been, you know, from his toolage. You know, I, I share all of the information. I share all of my great moments with him. Uh, he's mentored me a lot throughout the years, and I feel like he could be a great asset to society, especially where a lot of kids are being mass incarcerated and, you know, don't have nobody they can really uh, lean on. I think he could be a good mentor, somebody who's done almost 50 years in prison and still keeping his head high, still staying strong. You know, everybody who out there, if you can, go to change.org and sign a petition. You can just type in Horace Peterson and send all of my social media as well. And yeah, that's something I'm very passionate about. Well, awesome. if there's anything we can do to help spread the word, we'll certainly do that and wish you the best of luck. And uh, are, are, is there any progress at all being made in the appeal process? Yeah, yeah. We, we have an attorney and we're, we're fighting as a family. Like you said, we partner with Change.org. Um, we got some media attention coming on it. We're just trying awesome. to keep the awareness out there. And at the end of the day, whether it's clemency, pardon, you know, uh, the, the lawmakers are the ones in position to do that, and the leaders of the state, and they move at their own pace. So we, all we can do as a family is keep pushing and keep fighting. So that's what we're doing. All right. Well, the best of luck on that for sure, Eric. Eric Woodyard here, our guest. We're wrapping up. Before we let you go, uh, and again, we really appreciate it, bringing good stuff. Hopefully we can check in with you periodically to get some of your inside thoughts on the Lions. But tell our listeners best spot to uh, follow what you do. Definitely. Um, you can follow me on you know Twitter, Instagram. E underscore Woodyard, W-O-O-D-Y-A-R-D. I'm on there. I'm active. So, yeah, man, just uh, I, I would love to join you guys. Because like I said before, I'm always looking out for my Michigander. <laughs> don't get enough respect, man, so we got nope. to show, show each other love.
Hey, yep. hey man, my dad, he uh, he retired from GM over there, and I married a Flintstone, so it's all close. Okay. <laughs> That's great, man. That's great. All right. Hey, we appreciate the time, and uh, definitely look forward to talking to you down the road. Appreciate y'all, man. Thanks for yep. having me. Yep. Thanks, Eric. See you later, Eric. Success Group Mortgage and Servicing is a mortgage and land contract services company that is focused on your success. The home financing team has over 25 years experience and origination of all types of loans. Led by Jim Woodworth, Success Group Mortgage provides one-on-one service with a personal touch. You're not lost in the crowd like working with a mega-sized bank. Every transaction is given complete attention from the very beginning to the very end. Located in downtown Owasso, call today for an appointment at 989-720-4380 or find more info on the web at successgroupmortgage.com. Pankard Sportswear is the area's top clothing and more printing business. Located in the heart of Owasso at 116 West Exchange Street, Give them a follow on Facebook at hankered.sportswear. Nelson House Funeral Home's top goal is to serve the families in our community. The number one priority is caring for our friends and neighbors and being right there when you need them the most. Check out more information on the web at nelson-house.com. Well, that's a wrap, everyone. Follow us at 3 Point Pod. Let our partners know you listen in. They include... Advanced Elevator, Corona Connection, JJ's Excavating and Tree Service, Hankard Sportswear, Owasso Speedway, Rivals Tap House and Grill, Nelson House Funeral Homes, Sheridan Auction Service, Success Group Mortgage and Servicing, and Z92.5 The Castle. Once again, I want to thank Trent Courtright and Eric Woodyard for hopping on the pod. We had a lot of fun with this one. Also, please consider a donation to the ALS association there's still no cure for Lou Gehrig's disease and every 90 minutes someone is diagnosed with that terrible terrible disease for Jared Fattel and Matt Burns I'm Ted Fattel saying so long everybody until next time three point podcast is syndicated worldwide on sports radio Detroit and MWSN radio the show is a Sportsnet Michigan production recorded at the WJSZ Mid-Michigan Studios. Spread the word to your friends and family and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or any of the other big podcast hosting sites. Comments and questions can be sent via social media at 3PointPod or by email to 3PointPod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and until next time, bye for now.